0: Is the quickest that has ever happened. What is going on here? It's kind of eerie. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I don't know if you got a handout or not. Uh, Did you get a handout? If not, you can grab one. Are these handouts even helpful at all? I feel like the one I have right here is like got so much information. I I want this to be a tool, not a distraction. So I have all these scriptures referenced here just so you can go to them later in the week and, and, and be strengthened by it. But I want to pray, and we are going to dive into a word that I think has much application for every single one of us here. Father, it's been a joy to gather already with the people of God to make known the Son of God to the glory of God under the loving gaze of Father, our God. We ask that we would sense your presence here. Lord, I ask that you would empower my frail, Words with the power of God that uh, puts his weight behind the living word of God. I pray, Father, that, yeah, your spirit would harpoon our hearts. Show us where we are not deploying our tongue for your glory and show us that in Christ we can indeed have all things become new, even the way we use the gift of speech. And I pray for anyone who has never with their mouth confessed Jesus as Lord in a real saving way that, yeah, today you would raise them from the dead as well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk about the most powerful muscle in your body. What muscle do you think I'm talking about? Do you think it's pecs? your pecs, you know, or your deltoid. I don't know what the deltoids are. Maybe, no, it's not that. Not a <clears throat> your gluteus maximus. <laughs> not your quadriceps. Well, let me let James tell you what the strongest muscle in the body is. I'm just going to read. This is not my text for today, but it's a setup text. James chapter 3, he writes, verse 3, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue, there it is, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And he goes on to give a third illustration. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set itself on fire of hell. What is the strongest muscle in our body that he's talking about? Our tongue. Tongues have massive impact. Illustration one, just as a small little metal bit turns a 1,500-pound steed, just as a small rudder directs a large ship, so the tongue has massive impact. And sometimes massively destructive. As he tells us in the third illustration, a little fire can set a whole forest ablaze the tongue is the strongest muscle in our body no wonder then as we turn back in our series to the book of proverbs the tongue is mentioned far more than any other topic in this very book which is why it was hard to to write a sermon out of that there's so many verses and you've got a lot in your sheet in front of you 90 plus references to the strongest muscle in your body in the book of proverbs now How many words do you think you spoke yesterday by average? Any guesses? Any guesses? I see people nodding, so give me a guess. 16, close, 16,000 words. And men, before you say women, speak a lot more words. By statistics, only about 500 more a day. So we all average about 16,000 words a day. And these words, these 16,000 words, they're not just neutral puffs of air that go out into the atmosphere with some kind of meaning behind them. No, no, they're, they're, they're much more. Consider the two verses that Pastor Nick just read. Proverbs 18, 12. Death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs eighteen twenty There is one whose rash Words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our tongues have the capacity to do great good, to be a great help, or to bring great hurt and do much harm. Facing me to ask this question, maybe you should face this question too, how do I deploy my tongue? What kind of words come out of my mouth? Well, today, quite simply, I want to preach to you on the help, harm, and hurt of the tongue. The help, the harm, and the hurt of the tongue. Anybody need to hear this from God on how we use our tongue? Well, we're going to start off with the help of the tongue. As we just heard, the tongue can be great help to people. It can be life, Proverbs 18.21. It can bring healing Proverbs 12 18. And to add just a few more verses, it says, for example, in Proverbs 16, 24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. Proverbs 15:4 puts it this way: a gentle tongue is a tree of life. But the tongue of rather goes on to say, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You might say, oh, a gentle tongue. That's a wimpy tongue. A gentle tongue is not a wimpy tongue. Men and women need to remember that. For it says in Proverbs twenty-five, fifteen: with patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks a bone. I could go on and on and on, but I won't for the sake of time. But we've seen the tongue can bring life, healing, healing, Sweetness of the soul, health to the body, it is a tree of life. The point is plain. Our tongues can be a great help for others. I came across a story that Colin Smith tells about a man who now leads a large international Christian ministry. Growing up, he had a terrible speech impediment. He stuttered a lot. He could not pronounce L's and P's, which was problematic because his first name is Larry. And he went to Plymouth High School in Plymouth, Pennsylvania. So a lot of cannon fodder for people to tease him. He grew up in a church where they would open up the mic in front on Sunday mornings for anybody who wanted to lead in corporate prayer. He just felt like maybe he should do that. So one Sunday, he mustered up the courage to go to the front during the prayer time take the mic, and lead the entire assembled congregation in prayer. And it was, he says, a train wreck. He says, quote, I went up there filled less with worship and a whole lot more with nervousness. I found my theology as I prayed confused to the point of heresy. I remember thanking the Father for dying on the cross. It was the Son. Praising Christ for bringing the Spirit triumphantly up from the grave. Stuttering throughout until finally I just thought of the word, amen. And I I said it and I shut up and sat down. I recall as I sat down staring at the floor, utterly dejected. Too embarrassed to look around and solemnly vowing to myself that I will never again pray or speak in public. When service was over, I made a beeline for the door. But I wasn't quick enough. And an old Christian gentleman named Jim Dunbar intercepted me, put his arm around me, <clears throat> and cleared his throat to spoke, speak. I remember thinking to myself, oh boy, here it comes. Better brace myself, endure it, and then get to the car. Larry, he said. One thing I want you to know, whatever you decide to do for the Lord, I am behind you 1,000%. And he said, even as I write this, years later, my eyes filled with tears. These were life words. They had power. They reached into the depth of my being and filled my resolve And. and Death of my being and my resolve again, never to speak in public again, weakened instantly. Now, is that not an illustration of death and life are in the power of the tongue? The words of the wise bring healing, and he got some pretty quick healing because of this man. And the, Pro- the book of Proverbs, and the Bible at large, talks about so many ways we can see in a way that is healthy and healing and helpful for others. First of all, there is encouragement, which is what this gentleman did, right? There's encouragement. Second of all, there is, it does include this, loving rebuke, right? The Bible says, you know, talks about the the wounds of a friend. Faithful, it says, Proverbs 27, 4, are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So sometimes it includes that. Sometimes it includes just healthy humor, right? A merry heart is good medicine, medicine for the soul. We go on and on. Perhaps Ephesians 4, though, so I can close this first point, summarizes it best. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but such only is good for the use of building others up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear helpful words are graceful words now here's an interjection somebody might have well wait 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 a second paul said some pretty sharp things right and he did and the prophet said some pretty sharp things and they did and jesus himself said some pretty sharp things and he did matthew 23 we'll see about 12 or 14 months away when we talk about Matthew 23 and the woes that he pronounces on all kinds of people. But, 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 but I would say this. Yes, biblically, there is a place for caustic words. But it's when the gospel is at stake. Not our feelings, not our reputation, or not wanting just to get back. Paul definitely does that. Remember when they said in the book of Galatians, Hey, if you really want to be right with God, you need to be circumcised. Remember what he said? if you think that, then go the whole way and just totally emasculate yourselves. He was using caustic speech to make a point. But Paul also said in 2 Timothy 2 verses 24 and 25, the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but gentle to all, patiently enduring evil, able to teach, correcting his opponents with meekness. We need to remember that because it's it's easy to forget that. Now, How many of your 16,000 words yesterday you would characterize as life, gracious, sweet like honey, health to the soul, all of that? How how many would would, would be in that category? Just think about that for a second. Everything. Now, according to Proverbs 18 and 21 again, where it says, there is one No, no, I think it's 12.18 where it says um, there is one whose words are rash like sword thrusts. Uh, No, no, I'm sorry, I was right. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it shall eat its fruits. (laughs) According to that verse good words impact you inside in a good way. Likewise bad words impact you likewise in a bad way. In other words, you eat the fruit, you experience the fruit is the idea of how you speak. And that is why, and I think this is undeniable, that there is an irreparable connection between one's conversation and communication and their countenance. You ever notice that with somebody? In other words, the words that somebody predominantly says impacts the attitude they predominantly display would anyone disagree people whose pattern is to use grace in their speech tend to be people who who exude grace right who reflect grace who experience grace making people whatever their age and their physical appearance very beautiful in their gracious speech does anybody understand me on this One more verse, and then we get to the second point. Proverbs, there's a lot of them here, isn't there? 25.11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures or settings of silver. One one commentator said this. If you only had the apples of gold in this piece of art, that would just kind of be weird, just spheres of gold. If you only had the settings of silver, that would be kind of weird, just like moon craters or something. No, no, it's apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken is like that. The right word in the right way to the right person at the right time can make all the difference. Our tongue can be a great muscle for good. It can be a help. But now, second of all, I want to talk about the harm of the tongue. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never. What do you think of that? Do you think that's true? No, it's not true. I think it can I mean, oh, no, I opened up the floor to this. But I, I love I the good interaction. I love the good action. I would agree with my sister that we have a responsibility to what we do with people's words, right? We we, we have that. We can't say, as I did that message on anger, well, they just pressed my buttons. They're still your buttons. So that point's taken. But that said, human experience would would testify to this, that the thing that tends to bring, bring more trauma to people in their life isn't physical abuse. It does. I'm not downplaying that, but verbal abuse. Not uncommon for someone in their adult years, to remember something that was said to them at seven years old that laid them open. It's not uncommon for a couple having a difficulty and he or she she might say, my spouse said this 31 years ago. And there's still that gaping wound. According to Proverbs 18 and 21, I cite once again, Death is in the power of the life. it can have the effects of death. It can be like a gaping wound, Proverbs 12, 18, a stab wound. Made me think of uh, the Geneva Convention Convention, which outlawed triangular-shaped bayonets. It, there's certain rules of warfare. Most nations, unfortunately, don't, don't abide by them when there is conflict, but they outlawed triangle-shaped bayonets. Bayonets, because it takes much longer in the field for a wound like that to heal. A triangle of flesh cut out of you. And that's what rash words can be like. They can open up wounds that are very hard to heal outside of grace and repentance. And and, and listen that wound, that gaping wound, is not closed by simply saying, Well, I was just joking. Or I just said it in a moment of anger. No, 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 no. And these words, you've maybe experienced them. You'll never amount to anything. I bet, I bet, if, if, if I bet people here could could say things, we all could, that somebody said to us that has stabbed us, right? That's left a wound. There's a lady in Los Angeles, she committed suicide. And her Suicide note had two words, they said. Death and life is in the power of the tongue." Now, Proverbs lays out several ways we can stab each other with our rash words. The way we can wound, wound and harm and, and be destructive to each other. I'm just going to run through these. They're, they're on your sheet. You can look them up this week. But I'm just going to go through this quickly. First of all, lying, lying, tons of proverbs on lying, lying tongues, Proverbs 20, 12, 22, are an abomination to the Lord. Do you know what else is an abomination to the Lord? Child sacrifice, idolatry, homosexuality, deceitful business practices, I could go on. It's no wonder it says in Proverbs 6 that God hates a lying tongue. That's destructive. And then there's slander. What's slander? Slander, quite simply, is trying to make someone have a bad opinion of someone else. Whether you're sharing with them something they just don't need to know, or whether you're skewering the presentation of the facts. Slander, Proverbs 10, 18, Who Uh, whoever utters slander. This is what God says. You are a fool. Gossip. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Is adultery a serious sin? Yes. It destroys marriages. But you know what a worse sin in the people of God is? Gossip. Gossip it destroys and divides churches more deadly to the life of church ray ortland said this quote it only takes two to split a church one to start spreading fiery negativity and another not to confront that sin that behavior for the sin that it is hmm next one speaking without hearing the whole story proverbs really highlights this here's one proverbs 18, 18. 1813, if anyone answers a matter before he hears it, in other words, fully, to him it is folly and shame. Have you ever charged into a circumstance all righteously worked up or so you thought because you heard half the story? Proverbs warns us about this. And then there's this. There are people who listen to any of the above Without calling it out for what it is. This is what Proverbs says in chapter 17, verse 4 an evildoer listens to wicked lips. I quote Ray Ortland once again listeners are involved with this harmful speech as well. A person, this is so apt, such an apt description. There are people who are garbage collectors. You know what a garbage collector is? A garbage collector is someone in a group who becomes the one to whom disgruntled people go to. Because that person will listen. They'll sympathize. And they'll be a shoulder to cry upon. And a rallying point for complaints. And a hero to those with hurt feelings. That's a garbage collector. And that listener becomes a bigger problem to the group than the talkers themselves. And then you have this, affirming, it is so quiet this morning here, it really is, affirming wickedness, which is closely related to the above. It's affirming the wickedness of lying, of slander, of gossip, of speaking without hearing the whole story. And it's also (laughs) affirming the wickedness of culture while trying to seem like you're more loving than those other Christians. Like a pastor who just recently affirmed, uh, transgender rights now not the right to work or the right to vote every human being every citizen should have those rights whatever they believe ideology no right to use bathrooms whatever even though they're not that gender or right to be in an athletic competition even though they're not that gender and many people go yes 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 no that's, that's affirming wickedness Proverbs 24, 24 says whoever says to the wicked hey you're in the right will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations, by those, but those who rebuke the wicked, and there is a place for that, will have delight, and good blessing will come upon them. Let me add this. Justifying sin. Justifying sin. Oh, this is such a depictive Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 20 says this. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says... I've done no wrong. Do you ever justify your sin? Do you ever explain away your sin? We're all prone to that, right? We're all prone to doing that. I was tired. They said it first. You don't know how he did me. Well, let me ask you, of your 16,000 words yesterday... How many were sword thrust? How many were to somebody around you? Now, you may have thought of other people during the second point. I did. But we should think of ourselves too, right? Romans 3 is a pretty hardcore apt description of how we often use the strongest muscle in our body to harm Paul is is, is trying to to show that the whole world is under the curse of sin in need of a savior he says what then are we better than they no he says in Romans 3 we've charged it all under sin both Jews and Greeks and he goes on to say there is none righteous no not one he says there's none that does good there's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now listen, he says this their throat, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp, oh wow, I didn't even tell them I was gonna go there. You guys had some gifting. That's crazy. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Throat open grave. Tongues deceive. Venom of asp under the lips. Their mouth was full of curses and bitterness. Doctors, he's talked about the whole mouth, right? Like everything. Infected. 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 So in the end, the comparison in the end, how I use my tongue, the comparison that matters is not how I stack up to others, but how I stack up to the living God who gave us our tongues to use for good. Now, I want to give you a pro tip right here. It's its not from me, it's its from Jesus. The reason the stuff comes out of your mouth that's, that comes out of your mouth, the reason... The reason your tongues say what they say, the reason my tongue says what it says is because what's in our heart, the mouth always reveals the state of the heart. It always does. If I go to the gas station and I, I, I take a, you know I put my credit card in and I say, "I want 20 bucks of gas, and I pull the nozzle out, what is going to go into my gas tank? the gas to that particular pump. So if it's diesel, don't get your pumps mixed up, right? It's going to be diesel, right? And if it's the low octane, which you should should buy because most cars don't need high-performance octane stuff, that's what's going to come out. (laughs) What's going to come out of the nozzle is the tank it's connected to. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we can't say, well, that was just an outside thing. No, it came from the very core of your being. That's, that's kind of unsettling for us, isn't it? And by the way, the things that Jesus said came out in those two passages, Matthew and Luke, aren't very um, nice things. We'll just put it that way. It's just, it, 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 listen, lustful words come out of what kind of heart? Lustful heart. Angry words come out of what kind of heart? An angry heart. Anxious words come out of what kind of heart? Anxious prideful words come out of what kind of heart? A prideful heart. Circumstances don't create them when they bump up against us. They just reveal what was in us. Like when you bump up against a cup and the fluid comes out, the bump only revealed what was inside the cup. And thus you get to Romans 3.23, a verse I left out. Thank you again for being so quick on the draw. It ends with this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our tongues are enough to show us all that we not only need to trust in a Savior for salvation, we need to walk with him to grow in sanctification. And I love that verse. It's the grand finale of indictment before he gets to Christ. How instructive that is, by the way, for evangelism. He ruthlessly exposes their need for the cross before he expounds the glory of the cross, where he goes on to say, but God set forth Jesus to be a propitiation, a wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. But here's one, one verse I left out, and then we're done with Romans 3. It's so relevant for the topic at hand. In verse 19, it reads like this. Are you guys with me? Whatever the law says... It speaks to all who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I love this, a person does not become a Christian. Now listen to this. A person does not become a Christian until they're rendered speechless before the living God, utterly silent and in." Indefensible in their irrefutable guilt. You know what goes away when God finally shows somebody, when somebody opens up their eyes to the Spirit convicting them of their sin? Well, I'm a church member. That goes away. Well, I'm a pretty good person. That goes away. There are other ways to God. That goes away. I was baptized. That goes away. All of that self justification melts away when you see yourself as you really are. Remember Isaiah? Remember the six terrible woes he pronounces on Israel back in Isaiah chapter 5? Again, the the, the Bible is sometimes R-rated. You read some of the woes that he pronounces against Israel for sleeping around with the nations and getting into all this idolatry and child sacrifice and, and everything else. You have to wonder then, whoo, baby, if those first six woes were like that, what in the world is the seventh woe going to be like? Who's it going to be against? What what reprobate, what heathen, what pagan? And as Sinclair Ferguson says, what actually is to come is the spiritual crisis, the 9-11, the Normandy, the Twin Towers episode of Isaiah's life. Because he goes to chapter 6, and chapter 6 begins with some really crazy. He says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, it really happened in history. Archaeologists can tell you about Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood six seraphim, some of the highest beings of the unfallen angelic realm. With two, they each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they they flew. They're up above that throne. And then one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at that, at that, one shout, The foundations of of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house is filled with smoke. And now what, here's the seventh woe. What does Isaiah say? Woe is them. Woe are those chumps. Woe is me. For because I am undone. Another version, for I am lost. For I am a man. He doesn't even say unclean actions. What does he say? For I am a man of unclean lips and who do I dwell among? people of unclean lips now if Isaiah said that about himself what do you reckon we ought to say about ourselves have you ever had a woe is me moment the turnstile into the kingdom of God has this sign on it woe is me You will never get in until you see yourself as you really are. And you will never grow until you see him as he really is. And then you have these beautiful verses there where it says in verse 6, One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Now, I don't think Isaiah needed him to know that he just touched his lips with a burning coal. but. You ever touched a burning coal anywhere in your body? But what a picture of Christ. He says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And that leads to the final thing I'm gonna say, and this is gonna be quick, but it's the best part. The hope of the tongue. Listen, Jesus so took on our guilt that just, he so took on our guilt, even the guilt of our tongue. I got nothing to say, God, I got nothing to bring. I'm guilty of sin. Silent because I got nothing to say except woe is me. Jesus so took on our guilt that just as one day every human being without Christ will stand before that throne high and lifted up. Utterly silent and speechless in their indefensible, irrefutable guilt. Jesus stood in our place before his accusers Utterly silent. He's so identified with our guilt. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That was 700 years before Christ came, by the way. And then you go to the Gospels and you can read it again and again. He just stood silent, stood silent, stood silent. And then on the cross, Jesus experienced the fire of God's righteous judgment for our sin so that we could experience the cleansing coal of his forgiveness which would not just touch our lips but change our hearts which is the fountain of our speech anyway. So I don't know who he might be speaking to but this is the invitation. This is the invitation the scripture gives to every person here. It says in Romans chapter 10 that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead as not you might be saved you will be saved because the only thing you bring to salvation is the sin that required your saving and it goes on to say for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved the very question you asked that gentleman Ryan are you saved? I'm not asking you to be baptized or confirmed or anything like that. Have you really trusted in Jesus Christ who died to receive every sinner who owned their sin? Woe is me and come to him and embrace his forgiveness. Now, for those of us who have, let's be honest, we well know that even though we have a new heart, we can still deploy our tongues in rather hurtful, not helpful ways, Right? So, what you need to focus on, what I need to focus on, is how God at conversion literally made me a new creation in Christ. It's a metamorphosis thing from a caterpillar to a butterfly. 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things are becoming new. We've got to focus on that one because he's the only one that can tame our tongue. That's why he tells us in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all vigilance, for out of it are the issues of your heart. There's something about singing, he breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. That does something to remind me that I am a new creation. He has set me free. And not only do we need to focus on Christ, the incarnate word, We need to feed on Scripture, the written word. Because Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Listen, man. We need physical food to be physically healthy, to heal, to grow, to mature and all that. Likewise, in the spiritual realm, and Proverbs itself, second to last proverb I'm going to cite, and then then we're going to pray makes this connection Proverbs 22 17 through 18 incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you if all of them are ready on your lips you see the connection between hearing and what's on our lips you will never have you will never use your tongue the way God wants you to use your tongue, even as a believer, if you are not in the Word of God regularly, and yes, even relentlessly. Alex Motyer says this, quote, The morning-by-morning appointment is standard curriculum for all of Christ's disciples. So if you're asking yourself the question, 16,000 words, helpful, harmful, Like, do an honest analysis, we all should, and then ask the question, How do I really interact with God's Word? And as you feed on God's word, you're going to see you need to pray your butt off. Right? God, help me. Because right now I want to be either a jerk for Jesus. No, just a jerk. Okay, how about that? Just want to be that. And I need the Lord to stir up, right, the kind of compassion that that he wants me to have. And as you read God's word, one last thing on the tongue. You will see the need. To practice restraint. How many people here have said something they wish they had never had said or texted something they never texted? I could have a hundred billion arms up right now, and you could too, right? Time will not allow me to run down all the references. They're there for you, but I'm going I'm to give you one reference. Instead of rash words, Proverbs ten nineteen: when words are many, transgression is not lacking, But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Because you're going to have a thousand opportunities the rest of today. Not to restrain your tongue, right? But By the power of the Spirit, do that. All right, if the music team would come. Today is Communion Sunday. I'm so glad it is. (laughs) I'm so glad it is. (laughs) Just a couple of things as we prepare to take Communion. If you have um, deployed, I mean, your tongue in some ways that you know, like the Spirit of God is saying, hey, you've not used your tongue in a healthy way. Why don't you just get that right? His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me, right? If we, He's faithful and just if we confess our sins to forgive us of our, our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's what these, these, these things picture, broken body, shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins guilt get taken away? Why don't you get that right with, with God? And, and if you need to get that right with a person, make a commitment before you take these to do that. And then finally, a challenge. I want you to look on the back of your handout. I, I, I was a little mad with myself for doing this, this cross here, not because I didn't want to cross on there, because it soaked up so much of our church's ink well. But you know what? I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. And I have, the cross is there for a reason. Here's a little chart. One side has hurtful speech. You can see that, right? And the other side, helpful speech. Now, I don't know if there's three of you who are going to try this. But at least I want all of us to think about it. And maybe people do do this. But next week, well, we're already in next week, so this week. Any word that stands out for you as kind of uh, hurtful, why don't you just make a, A little, you know, hash mark in the hurtful column. You can even say what it is so you remember. And then every word that maybe you think, hey, that was by the grace of God helpful, healthy, life-giving. Why don't you put a check there? And at the end, do that for one day. That's probably enough. But do it for a week. And tally up the score. And I think we might be floored by what it looks like here. I think we might. Maybe, do you think? Now, the reason I got the cross there is I don't want to leave us in condemnation. But then thank God that the cross, on the cross, Jesus atoned for all those sins. And I think just being grateful for that, really, will shrink the column on the left and expand the column on the right. All right. This is the Lord's table. This is for people who have repented of their sins. They're not trusting in their works, but in the grace of Christ alone. for salvation, who are really seeking to walk with Him. They're not trying to do checking box Christianity, but they want to have a real-life walk with Jesus. If that's you, this is for you. You're you're in His family, and, and He wants you to celebrate His sacrifice in your behalf. So if we could have a group of people line up right here, and a group of people line up right here, come and grab the elements. We're still doing that cup thing for right now takes about 48 minutes to open up the cellophane, so do that as soon as you get them, and then we'll all celebrate together. not have some elements you would like some, would you raise your hand? I think everybody has. Okay. Oh, man, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had broken it, he gave, he gave thanks, and he said, take, eat all of you. This is my body, broken for you, even for the venom of ass. ugly passageway to walk down the passageway of things that you've said that you wish with everything in you you had not said right oh 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 but his blood cleanses us not in a well I guess I can say whatever I want now in a way that says I don't want to go back down that hallway actively again and what hit me this week you know you just think about aspects of the cross is he's so identified with our guilt that he He stood silent before his accusers. When He had had some things he could say, right? He did that out of his deep love for you and I. So when they had finished the supper, he took the cup and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. We are going to sing now. We are going to confess with our mouth the glories of the cross. Thank you for your patience this morning. This might have been one of my longer ones, but be patient. 90 verses to corral together, okay? You wouldn't (laughs) believe what I left out. But this is a word I needed, and I think this is a word that we all needed. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing to the one. The seraphim said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if you need prayer... There will be a prayer team right near the AV booth to receive you and to pray with you and for you. Amen? All right. Let's worship.